no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filippone. Welcome to another edition of First and Pod. Danny Parkins and Filippone. Every game, every team, every week. Ahead of what I think is indisputably the best slate of games start to finish in the NFL this year. Can't wait to get to him. But first, we go to Pittsburgh. He's wearing a Kenny Pickett jersey, fresh off a win over the Titans. How you feeling, Pony? Thought about having one of those moments that we see Skip Bayless fake where he wants to take the Dak Prescott jersey and throw it in the garbage, and he does it every time. He might do it Sunday night after the Cowboys-Eagles game again, but uh, I wanted to do that at halftime. I was so sickened by what I saw from Pickett. I mean, he had an opening drive touchdown. And then there were at least three plays where he missed wide receivers. Two of them probably could have gone for touchdowns. And to add insult to injury, you're getting outplayed at home by Will Levis in his first road start. And then as often as the case for Pickett, something changes in the second half. Uh, it's reminiscent of when I watched Roethlisberger early in his career. The numbers wouldn't always be great, but he came alive when the game was on the line. And it happened again here. He could have easily thrown two touchdown passes in the second half. Inexplicable that George Pickens did not get a second foot in bounds when he's considered. That was wild, man. I know. I mean, he, he was his head was just not in the game. He had uh, minus one yards receiving in this one. So well, I thought we it was talk- Rice to Montana. I follow you on Twitter. You said you said or Montana to Rice. It's Isn't actually that- Joe Montana and it's Rasheed Rice. Oh, Sydney Rice. Yeah, it's not Jerry. That's oh. where you're, yeah, you're not following along. It's I'm Uncle confused. Ben. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, if our show today uh, give us credit, like we predicted a game like this. I think everybody who covers the Steelers thought it was going to be a under 20 type game, played in the teens, kick field goals, don't turn the ball over and you win. And that's exactly what they did. So I'll, I'll be very interested to hear how the fan base feels tomorrow when we talk about this game, because if I had opened it up the calls at halftime, they would have actually said the offensive coordinator is fine for once and the quarterback just sucks. And then the quarterback in the second half pulled a Houdini and ended up having his seventh comeback win in the fourth quarter uh, since he started, which is the second most in the NFL behind Kirk Cousins in that time frame. All right, two things. Uh, my program director, Ryan Porth, is from, uh, came from to us from Nashville, and he said, you got to get Pony on the record. Is he willing to admit that Will Levis is already better than Kenny Pickett? No, he's not. And I would have said that at halftime, but I didn't think Levis had a good second half. He threw the interception at the end of the game. Now, that drive was mostly I mean, aided by – Yeah. yeah I'm not going to kill him for that, but it was, it was not the last play didn't have to be they still had enough time where he could have gone to the sidelines or thrown the ball away could have been another interception on that drive I mean he basically did nothing in the second half um you see the arm talent you see a poise there from him he doesn't have the best receivers that's for sure he does have Derrick Henry and frankly one of the plays where the game got lost was when the Titans were driving after they started backed up in their own end and it was third and short and fourth and short they went for both and neither time the ball went to Derrick Henry which is inexplicable for Mike Vrabel, who I love as a coach, but he's got to tell his offensive coordinator, hey, we have a transcendent running back. We didn't trade. Let's get him the ball in these situations, and they refuse to do it. Will there come a time 
because today it was eight yards per carry for Jalen Warren. I have eyes. I'm not a coach. I never played running back at any level, but he has way more juice than Najee Harris. And, 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 every and, and Najee played. actually played a good game, I thought. I mean, it's still, even in a game where Najee plays well, it's pretty evident that Warren is still the superior back. But you're right. I mean, it should be more Warren than than, than Najee. Uh, I thought a huge move that got made for this game, and Tomlin just admitted it on his, in his press conference, they benched a $10 million right tackle uh, for performance on a short week and played Broderick Jones, their rookie there, the 14th pick in the draft, out of position at right tackle. And I think we'll see like a guy like Brian Baldinger break it down this week. I mean, the blocks he made in the run game were just massive in what the Steelers were able to do. They they looked like a totally different offense from a run standpoint with him in there to get the guy you traded up for and used a first-round pick in. It was it, a little bit too late for me, but at least they made that move now. He was the guy I wanted the Bears to take. They took Darnell Wright, and they looked correct on that. Darnell Wright's been awesome as a right tackle, but Broderick Jones just very, very, very high-level athlete on the offensive line. All right, let's get to the games. We'll start with the one in Germany. We've exported our best game of the week to Frankfurt. It's the biggest international game, I would say, ever. Do the Chiefs bounce back in this one? Yes, I think the Chiefs bounce back. I know it won't come as a shock to you that I'm backing Mahomes and Reed and Kelsey in this spot. They seem legitimately pissed off by what happened against Denver. I think they've got legitimate bulletin board material with what Tyreek Hill has been saying for the last 18 months. It's criminal that this game isn't at Arrowhead. I know why it's not at Arrowhead. Because it came down to Chiefs-Bears, Chiefs-Lions, and Chiefs-Dolphins to go to Germany. And Chiefs-Lions was selected for the opener. And they can charge more money for tickets at Arrowhead to Chiefs-Bears than Chiefs-Dolphins. So a potential AFC Championship game preview goes to Frankfurt. So Tyreek Hill will have to wait for the Arrowhead crowd reaction. Which I would be very interested into what it would be. Because obviously... He deserves to be in their ring of honor and to be cheered. But all he's done is talk shit since he left. So I could have seen like a pregame ovation followed by massive in-game boos every time he touched the ball. It would have been electric. So I think we're getting robbed that this game isn't at Arrowhead. But I think there's enough there that the Chiefs win. And the Dolphins have not yet proven that they can beat a great team. And I don't know if this Chiefs team is a great team yet. But the Dolphins, I've got to see it before I believe it. Yeah, the 9.30 Eastern time is fine for me as someone that lives in Pittsburgh. But you, you, with the start of this game, you take out the entire West Coast audience. You have to make it an appointment thing where you set your alarm to watch this game because it's going to start at 6.30. So that's, that's, a big, that's a big L for the NFL. Uh, I know that there's a bigger picture. They want to grow the game. Goodell's probably in that way tickled pink that they have such a big game here to kick off this Germany experiment. And Clark uh, Hunt is uh, the chairman of the international committee. Yeah. So in that regard, they're going to love it. They'll probably do big ratings even with the super early kickoff. But I'm with you. Um, the Dolphins have had two tests this year. They failed both uh, in big ways, especially the Bills game where they lost by four touchdowns. A little bit less so against the Eagles, but still, they didn't lose that game in a you know, on a last-second play. They were the inferior team. 
and they they don't now those are both on the road. So we'll see in this spot, but I, I tend to agree with you. I do think for the Chiefs, they'll look they'll, they've treated this game like it's a playoff tune-up. Like, okay, this is a game in November that we can almost treat like it's a Super Bowl test. We're going to a neutral site. We'll go through the machinations of what it's like to play a big neutral site game. And we know how comfortable they are in that spot. I'm with you. I think the Chiefs win. I can't believe the line's so small and it keeps going down. I like Kansas City. Cowboys-Eagles, massive game every year, certainly this week as well. Do you think Dallas finally wins a big game? My gut says yes, and I don't get it because really it does. Yeah, and interesting. And I, I think most of the football viewing public thinks that Dallas is a fraudulent team, and I've said that on this show before. And what they did against San Francisco now it looks even worse in retrospect. But Philly giving up as many points as they did to Washington, I know that's a bad matchup for them. And I know what A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts were able to do. But I think at this very second, at this minute, I think the Cowboys are a more complete team. Now, they got to prove it and they got to show it in a game. But at this second, I think they're a better team. Philly's pass defense, we've been on this since basically week one of the season. Their line is there. Their secondary is not. Now they have Bayard. Yep. Philly's at home. And it just comes down to coin flip, home game. I trust Jalen Hurts and the Eagles coaching more than I trust Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy. And I think that you should have said before the 49ers game, but you you hoodwinked yourself into thinking that there was like a new Mike McCarthy. I did. So this is I won't get fooled again from Danny Parkins. That's correct. Yeah, that's that. that, That's correct. And. Like, if you were going to make a list of the top, you know, we talked about A.J. Brown last week as being third for Offensive Player of the Year. Like, if you were going to make a list for top receivers in the NFL, A.J. Brown and CeeDee Lamb, I think, would both be in your top 10, but A.J. Brown would be higher than him. Like, it, it yeah. is a bit, like, the, the top offensive combination on Philly is better than the one on Dallas. And I'm still waiting for Tony Pollard and the Cowboys run game to get going. You don't have to worry about that as much with Philly. Uh, I do think, even though Hertz has had bad games like the one against the Jets, that you do trust Hertz more in this game than you would Dak. Um, I think I like the Cowboys front seven actually right now, even with Van Der Esch out. I think I like it a little bit more than Philly. Um, so it, it it should be a great game. Uh, it should be a close game. Dallas, I think at some point you knock on the door enough, they're going to win one of these games eventually. Maybe not in January, but like now in November, I think so. They they won this game last year, but it was with Minshew. And that was in November again, so or December. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Cowboys and probably come on Sunday night and get made fun of for it. Okay. We got it. So you're right. There are a lot of good games here. Seahawks it's an and Ravens. Dude, it's the, be, it's the best slate. But the, then it falls off a cliff, dude. We'll get to that spot. It gets, it gets, no, there. but, but just, just from the TV viewing standpoint. Yeah. Chiefs and, uh, Dolphins. Dolphins early. Then this game at the one o'clock Eastern. Then the Cowboys game and then Bills and Bengals. Like, you have one marquee matchup in all of the slots, but get get to the best one. Seahawks and Ravens, um, 
Bigger game for which team? It's a bigger game for Seattle. Because I think that Baltimore believes pedigree, Lamar, MVP, Harbaugh. I think that they believe that they can win a Super Bowl. Whether or not the world believes it or not, I think that they believe it. I think that Seattle need like Pete Carroll's done it, but these guys haven't. And Gino hasn't. And while they beat Detroit in week two, everything else doesn't look as impressive and they lost to Cincy, whereas Baltimore just beat Detroit. Like Baltimore has a marquee win much more recently than Seattle does. So I think that Seattle, maybe not as much, like somewhat internally, but certainly externally, like if they get a win like this in Baltimore, people are going to be like, God damn, they can win basically any game that's on their schedule. I think that people already believe that about Baltimore. So I, I don't know if I heard you right there, but so you're saying the Ravens win over the Lions was a marquee win, but the Seahawks win over the Lions was not because it was earlier in the year. I'm just saying it's the, the Ravens one is more recent and the, the, the Seahawks one felt in the moment like it was a letdown spot for the Lions after the opener uh, against the Chiefs. Okay. That was 37-31 in overtime. Weirder game. Listen, they, they both beat the Lions, but one of them was, what, two weeks ago and the other one was six weeks ago? So the most recent test for one of these teams in a big spot was Seahawks-Cincy, and they lost it. So I think this is a bigger game for Seattle. I, I'm, I'm really surprised to hear you say that because I think it's a bonus game for Seattle. It's not, it's not a conference game. They haven't played San Francisco yet, right? So you still have two dates with them. You lead them now in the division. If you lose to Baltimore, go into the East Coast early for you. I don't think it's even close to the end of the world. If you look at the Ravens, if they don't win this game, two teams in the AFC are going to clearly get put ahead of them. The team that wins Chiefs-Dolphins and the team that wins Bengals-Bills. If the Ravens win... I'm not even just talking about record-wise. I'm talking about more of how I'll view them, my opinion on them. If they win this game and they do it convincingly, then I think they'll deserve to be in the same category as the winner of those other two games. If they lose it, well, there's another home loss. They've already lost to the Colts at home with Minshew. They've already gone to Pittsburgh and lost. I'll just probably say about the Ravens what I've said about them for years. They win a lot of games with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, but they have a tendency to, for whatever reason, stub their toes in spots, play. I mean, they're, they're, to me, just less reliable than some of these other teams like Joe Burrows, Bengals, or Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs. So you might be right about their internal belief, but I know that I won't have that if they lose this game at home to Seattle on Sunday. Bills and Bengals. They are going to talk to Mar Hamlin all broadcast. Mm-hmm. But And they should. It's an incredible story, obviously. But there's also a million significant this year football ramifications to this game. Do you think the Bills get revenge for last year's playoff loss? I do. I, there was that thing last year, that crazy trend where teams that played the 49ers always lost the next week. And it took a, it, it took a toll to play them. And I know that San Francisco is not the same now as they were then. And some of that has been debunked because Minnesota beat you know, Minnesota won after they um, 
beat the 49ers too. They beat Green Bay last week. So that stat doesn't so much apply to this year. But I think what does apply is this idea that Cincinnati just did something really impressively. Uh, Burrow completed 88% of his passes. They went out to San Francisco. They won. They made, they got monster plays on defense. They slayed that dragon. They're feeling like they're, they're the peacock right now. They're showing their plumage thinking we just won this game and we're back. And I've told you before, I think Buffalo is great in these situations. I think when Buffalo is in an underdog role, which almost never happens and the pressure is actually on the other team and not them. That's when they tend to play their best. And I think that's what's happened here. If if Cincinnati had lost in the last few weeks and was in a gotta-have-it situation, I would probably favor them. But there's just so much doubt around Buffalo. I know you've pushed back on that at times. Like, why is there so much doubt about the Bills? They're one of the best teams. Well, here's their chance to show people again that they have a tendency to let their foot off the gas against bad teams. And when they play a team like the Dolphins, they win. And when they even play a team like the Chiefs in the regular season, sometimes, Danny, they win. So I got to be honest. I don't have a ton of conviction as to who is going to win this game. Like, you know, I, I've i got a There's a take. Of, it's a one and a half point line. I mean, I think you're supposed to feel that way. <laughs> well, no, I know. But you're but like you but you you just made like a pretty impassioned case for the Bills winning the game. Like this is you play it 10 times. Each team wins five. I tend to think that what I saw most recently from Cincy, that looked like Joe Burrow, MVP candidate, fully healthy, Joe Cool, swag. I can make any throw on the football field and nobody can beat me. And they're at home. And as of this moment, they are a last place team. So while Buffalo, you say like as an underdog, they play better. They're a point and a half of an underdog and they're in the playoffs if it ended today. And since he isn't. Uh, no, I know. I, I know you're right about that. Like the, from if you, if, if the, if the only thing that mattered was the way that players looked at the line, I'm talking more about the narrative around every, about around both teams. The Bengals are looked at as a team that is back and the bills are looked at right now as a team that kind of struggled to beat the Bucks, And I do, we saw it with the way they reacted to the Dolphins stuff. They hear that. And I think in those situations, you get even, you get better play out of Josh Allen for whatever reason. It wakes that team up. They shake the cobwebs off when they're in situations like this. I I understand what you're saying. I sometimes think, like, I, I know that the players hear the stuff and NFL Network and ESPN and Fox Sports 1 are on in the team facilities and they're aware of it. I sometimes think you overstate its value. All they have to do is see Baltimore beat Seattle earlier in the day and they'll see a first place team with two losses. And if they lose to Buffalo, they'll have four. Well, it's a weird anomaly with them. They're 4-0 against the NFC West and they're winless against the rest of the league. They're 0-2 in their division and they lost that game to Tennessee. So we'll see what Bengals team shows up. All right, last game that's in kind of one of these um spotlight standalone spots is the Monday nighter between the Chargers and Jets. And if not for all the great games we just talked about, I actually think this would be a sneaky good game because the Jets have a better record than the Chargers, which after the Aaron Rodgers injury happened, we would have never guessed that to be in November and the Jets are better than the Chargers win loss record wise. 
So what would interest you more in this game, a Chargers or Jets win? A Chargers win. Because the only thing that is interesting to me about the Jets winning is if they're actually going to get Aaron Rodgers back. Yes, that's why I thought you would answer that Jets because of what you just said there. I'm just not convinced that that's happening. I'm just, what happened like, to the whole thing you gave us on last week's podcast? Dude, Did you see him throwing the ball? He looks great. It might happen. I, I, I it might happen. It might happen. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna withhold my gratification of watching and enjoying these games for something that may or may not happen eight or ten weeks from now. Or like they need to go to the the conference championship game or the Super Bowl for him to come back. I saw the Chargers play the Bears last week. Hang thirty on them. Felt like they could have hung sixty on them. Austin Eckler looked fully healthy. I've picked the Chargers to be a Super Bowl team every year for the last 17,000 years of my life watching football. And you're going to feel vindicated if they go to New York and beat the Jets on Monday night? No, but I think that I want to see teams that are quarterback quarterbacked by excellent players match up in the Super Bowl. And the AFC still has an opportunity to have Burrow and Allen and Mahomes and Tua and Herbert and Lawrence all in the playoffs. Like, I wish that Aaron Rodgers was in the mix for that. I'm not convinced that he will be. Herbert right now is. And Herbert with Eckler and Keenan Allen is a pretty damn dynamic core of an offense. So I, I'll i take the guy that I know is available right now, and that's Herbert, over the guy that may or may not be in Rodgers. So I am rooting for the Chargers to win this football game. Uh, okay, now we're going to move into the next tier of games where there is just a humongous. You didn't even answer. Up. Which one would interest you more? Jets oh, I didn't. It was. I, I. I thought I did when I when I rebuttaled you. It, it's the Jets because I'll oh, be because about of Rodgers. Okay, Rodgers light okay. at the end of the time. My mistake. Okay, so some of these will eventually get to like some of the trade deadline. Um, moves that did or didn't happen but the one that doesn't have any implication on that is this Rams Packers game on Sunday where both of these teams have completely gone off the rails so I want to know from you big picture which team is in more trouble so the Rams are in more trouble because of their lack of draft assets and like the lack of young dudes on the team that you like like three years from now, can you name a player on the Rams that you think will be a top five player on the Rams? Puka Nakua? That's one. Okay. You got another? Like, whereas with the Packers, Christian Watson will be, Jair Alexander will be. Like they they have a few more pieces that feel you know, Dobbs could be, Reed could be. They've, they've got a few more pieces that are young, that are there. And while they said that it's a this year and next year tryout for Jordan Love, Gutekunst this week said it's a huge 10 games to evaluate the quarterback. I love that answer, by the way. I mean, yeah, there, there's a reason why. So Ernie Acorsi was the GM of the Giants and before that was in Cleveland and before that was in Baltimore and had to make the John Elway trade. He said for a long time that the best job in his line of work was the Packers GM job because you don't answer to an owner. You don't have to worry about the whims of like one person. 
So you can really say things that you mean. Um, you know, there's there's some transparency there. You don't have to worry about like looking o- like looking over your shoulder somebody that's pulling the strings like a puppeteer. And I that's why with that that comment, I don't think that happens. Ryan Poles doesn't say that about Justin Fields right now. Uh, Omar I Khan. T- I tend to agree with you, and I just Omar Khan doesn't even talk during the season. He would never say that about Kenny Pickett right now. Right. So I love that answer because it's true. This should be make or break for love. And he didn't quite say that, but he did. He did intimate. I like, thought it was implied. I thought you could infer that easily. Yeah, and but just like to me, the Packers have an easier pivot than the Rams do. Like they, they. So they're they're both in a bad spot. But I think the Packers are in a slightly, uh, slightly better spot. Giants Raiders. We're going to talk. Use this as an opportunity to talk Raiders because they finally fired Josh McDaniels and cleaned house. What was your reaction? Uh, stunned because Mark Davis had just like screamed at fans at a game saying that they were idiots for asking him to fire Jimmy Garoppolo. And then I actually thought that that thing that went around about uh, McDaniels dressing up as Mark Davis for Halloween was true. <laughs> Did you see that? Of course I did. That's a yeah. PFT commenter troll job. Yes, I didn't even. I didn't see the original. I don't. I don't know. I didn't. Fo- I don't follow him. I guess. So I saw that and I thought it was like in the athletic or something like that and thought it was real. Um, Amazing. No, I. I um, look. I got. I got excited about this because it made me think that Tom Brady told Mark Davis to fire all these people he worked with in New England and bench the quarterback who was drafted to take his job. Because we know that he's a primary advisor to Mark Davis right now. So I thought of it from that perspective. But really, even if you're a Raiders fan, you get a momentary sense of glee or joy. But how do you actually feel better about this in the long run? It's Mark Davis who owns your team. And he's had eight head coaches since 2011. I would not think he's going to get this right with the next hire. Neither would I. And Devontae Adams seems miserable. Mm. Yeah. So the situation is bad. But if we were going to power rank head coaches in the NFL, Josh McDaniels would have been 32 out of 32. Very close to me for me. Yeah. With the way they've blown games last year, all those big leads, kicking field goals when he should be going for it, down eight against the Steelers, kicking to go down five not knowing the math on that. Right. I, I I think, I think he would have been dead last for me. So if you fired the worst coach in the NFL, okay, fine. I don't trust you to necessarily have the best hiring practices, to, but you can't do worse. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even positive that they had the liquid funds given the Gruden thing to pay all these coaches to go away. So Maybe they're a little bit more solvent than I gave them credit for. So overall, I think it was a good week for the Raiders, even though you're probably still screwed. All right, Bucks and Texans. No, you skipped. I didn't. Bucks and Texans before Commanders and Patriots. Oh, my bad. My bad. Okay, so this is when we get to the trade deadline portion of the show. So the Bucks were one of many teams that didn't sell at the deadline. What What the hell happened? You were on here last week telling me, Big deadline things. Ten trades got made, but most of them were kind of minor ones. Where were the big blockbuster deals? Where were the wide receivers? Wide receivers get traded at every deadline. Mike Evans stayed in Tampa Bay, for example. I I was surprised. 
there were big defensive players traded. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Leonard Williams. You know, and those guys are easy to plug and play, right? Snap, go get the quarterback, follow the ball. So that is the easiest position to change in season. I think without question is defensive lineman. So it makes that makes a little bit of sense. But I don't know what Tampa's plan is. Before the year, I thought that they should have sold off, played Kyle Trask, and gone 2-15. and 15. They didn't. And then for a while, Baker looked like the best quarterback in the division, and the division is super mediocre. And then they've got all of these, like, solid play, Vita Vea and Godwin and Evans and David. And it's like, okay, fine. So now you're going to go try to win nine games and win a bad division. Then things go poorly, and you don't pivot the other way. So they're just going to waste the season with, veterans getting a year older and end up with six or seven wins at the end of it. Congratulations for not having a plan. You're in football hell. I think they could still win the division. They're only a half game out. I mean, that's not, I don't think they will, but that's probably the way they looked at this. They strike me as a team though, that if they were to get to nine wins and make the playoffs and lose in the first round, I would still be tempted to fire the head coach there. Because I would like to your point, I don't think I look. I would look at Todd Bowles and believe, okay, great job getting this team to the playoffs. Like, let's just tweak it and see if we can do the same thing or better next year. I'd still look at it kind of like, okay, great, you won a very watered down division. Your future doesn't look any better. You know what I mean? Like, of course. I wouldn't buy stock in Tampa right now. It wouldn't strike me the same way as like the Giants making the playoffs as a surprising team and winning a game last year. It just I would not have that feel to it where, okay, like you actually accomplished something. Yeah, I mean, younger quarterback, newer coach, offensive coach. Yeah, I think, I think there's quite a few differences there. All right, Commanders and Patriots. Washington, one of the, the, the probably the biggest seller of the deadline. What do you think of their moves? One of them to my city, Chicago. Yeah. Well, I think this is where the owner gets involved, okay? Because the owner is not thinking about it from a um, self-preservation standpoint because he's new and he's in it for the for the long haul. And the GM there really isn't necessarily. And the head coach probably wonders about his future. So in this case, I think the owner dictates down to these guys, all right, this is the contractual situation with these players. Let's see what we can get for them. Let's try to get better draft picks. Let's not try to take a three and four football team or three and five football team and try to rally them to nine wins and make the playoffs. Like, yeah, I mean, they're not they're not Carolina Panthers bad or Cardinals bad. So I'm guessing in that locker room, it wasn't great. And I don't think the coaches probably took it well. But to me, we don't really see this a lot in football. We see maybe in football teams that are at the bottom sell. This is a team that was in the middle that decided to sell in a short season where a lot of things can happen between now and the end of the year. And I actually give, I want to give the owner the most credit, Danny, for authorizing or pushing for something like that. I mean, the contracts played a huge role in it, right? There was no expectation that Chase Young was going to sign and Montez Sweat was also a free agent. So, you know, you can only use the franchise tag on one. I'm I'm shocked that Ron Rivera hasn't been fired along with Jack Del Rio there. 
four first round picks on your defensive line. You've given multiple contracts out there with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Montez Sweat and the second overall pick with Chase Young in a draft where Tua and Herbert, you know, go five and six. And it just (laughs) like, you know, think about how different it is for Washington and Terry McLaurin if he has Justin Herbert throwing him the ball or if two is the face of that franchise for the last couple of years. And instead you use another first round pick on a defensive lineman who was a great prospect coming out, but, and then you look like deeper into it. They don't, they always just rush four. They just like, they were like, we have four first round picks. So we're going to get pressure rushing four, but it's a snap and throw league. Sometimes you have to bring extra help. Those guys didn't get there. They didn't live up to their pedigree. And you've got a defensive coach. Like, what a disaster. And that many resources in the defensive line and defensive coaches, and you're not a good defense. Like, just such a disaster. And I do think, and just one quick point on this, I do think one, I think a team will regret not offering a better pick for Young. He goes for like a bottom of the barrel third round pick. The guys actually had, if you look, if you dive into the numbers and not just look at the sack totals and stuff, he's had a better season this year. And in San Francisco, I can see that guy thriving and blowing up over the second half of the season. That was a great move by them. It was a great move by them. I just, I think that the word is, is that there's no scenario where he signs an extension until the off season, whereas sweat is viewed as much more signable, even though it hasn't well, happened that gets yet. Us to the, that gets us to you bears and saints. Yeah. The bears did buy. Why? So I would not have done the move, but I assume you want to know why they did the move. Yeah. The reason why they did the move is because they're going to have two top two or top five, or maybe at worst top 10 picks. And there doesn't seem to be an edge rusher that's worthy of going in the top five, or maybe even the top 10. And their pass rush is pathetic. It's the worst in the entire league. And so they look at it as we get a good against the run, good against the pass, B-plus pass rusher in Montez Sweat, who's 27 years old, in his prime, great character guy, who they think they can sign, but they've given him a ton of leverage, and it would be an unbelievable, unmitigated disaster if they don't sign him to an extension, and then they can't use the franchise tag if they need to on Jalen Johnson. So they're playing a game of Russian roulette here, but they look at it as the last thing that this defense needs to be good when their secondary gets healthy is a pass rush. They don't think one is coming in the draft. And even though they've got cap space and free agency, there's no guarantee that any of these guys are going to actually hit free agency right now. It's like, Oh, Brian Burns and Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Daniil Hunter. Uh, Well, you trade for Montez Sweat. You try to sign him. You trade for Chase Young. You try to sign him. You franchise tag Brian Burns. Like there's no guarantee that one or two. Why do they keep Johnson then? Why did they keep Johnson? Because I th- I think their plan is to sign Montez Sweat and franchise tag or tra- probably transition tag Jalen Johnson and then let the market dictate his contract and then okay. match the deal. That's that's my expectation. Listen, I would not have made the move because I think you should still be trying to lose games this year at this point. And I think that Montez Sweat is a solid but not great player and trading the 35th pick in the draft. It's just a really valuable asset. I wouldn't have made it, but they did it because they have zero pass rush and they don't think that there's anyone in the draft. Vikings, Falcons, 
What do you make of both teams' quarterback moves? Well, I mean, I just feel bad for the Vikings, like as much as I can as a division rival, because Cousins have been playing well and their offense was explosive. And like it happened so late with the deadline, like they they had no pivot. They I ended they... up actually being right about Dobbs, which is hilarious because I've said on multiple podcasts, like I'm somebody might trade for this guy. He's played well enough where I actually think yeah somebody and yeah he, you like, were right at one point said to me that's one of the like that's a really dumb thing to say. <laughs> That might have been me. Ended up being right. Yeah, which is hysterical. Yeah, just they, they they didn't have a ton of moves, so they they did the best they could. I I don't really see that ending well. And then we talked about it all year last year with the Falcons, like a great spot for a quarterback to go to. The problem is they they don't have a quarterback. Like Ritter just. He's not a quarterback, man. I'm not saying that he's a running back or a receiver or an edge rusher or anything like that, but he's just, he's not an NFL quarterback. And so Taylor Heineke, my guess is we'll have a little bit of like Gardner Minshew, like early success. And he's a fine backup, but a terrible starter. And then it'll fizzle out quickly. So I, I you know what you say that, but I watched back that Tennessee game and just saw the difference in their offense from the first half to the second half. And they ended up scoring on four of six possessions in the second half of that game. And the sixth possession was when Van Jefferson dropped that ball on fourth down that lost them that game. I do think there's a chance that there's like a case Keenum in Minnesota um, future for Heineke in this offense. I do. I, I, I really, I really think it could take off. And then I think it's going to have a short shelf life, even if it has short term success. Okay, so when you say that, do you mean just a couple of games or do you mean for the rest of the year? Because I think they could absolutely ride him. Like, So I've been on New Orleans to win that division the entire time. I think with Heineke in there now, I'd be willing to change my prediction to the Falcons. Just having watched the way they look with him in there as opposed to Ritter, who, who is, who's not, like you said, an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I think he's going to be better than Ritter, and my guess is it doesn't last the year. I mean, I think he probably plays, but I don't think we're going to say that he's good uh, for the rest of the year. All right, Cardinals and Browns. Kyler Murray, we still don't know. The, the situation's up in the air. Would you play him if you're Arizona? And Spencer just said the new Call of Duty comes out next Friday. That's <laughs> that's good producing. They keep making these Call of Duties. Um, I've, never, of money. I've never played it in my entire life. Um, okay, so... Here's here's why I asked this question. If you play him, there's a chance he's not horrible. And then Well, you... I assume there's a chance he's good. Right. <laughs> okay, so you got Houston's pick, but Houston isn't bad. Uh if you're going to get the first pick, it's probably going to be with your own pick at this point. And also if you play him and he doesn't play well, well now his trade value goes down. So aren't they just better off not playing him? My answer to this would be I would not play him yet. I I would I would keep playing and hopefully losing games to give yourself more of a cushion to secure the number 1 overall pick with your own pick as you said and then once you feel like you have like one game of breathing room for that pick, then you can start playing Kyler Murray. I don't, but we saw how things have gone down to the wire. Yeah, it might not happen. 
So what's the benefit in playing him? Well, the, the if you're going to trade him. Yeah, but don't assume, you think somebody will trade for him if you don't play him this year? I, I mean, I assume that showcasing some degree of competence from him to the rest of the league. I think there's a better chance he looks like, I, I think he, there's a better chance his trade value goes down in this. Well, offense. what do you think it would take to get him right now? I don't think it would take much. And so it's going to go down? Well, he'd have to be so good. He'd have to be, to me, if he's that good, then if I'm Arizona, like I might actually be in a situation where I end up wanting him to be my quarterback. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Not I, the I, number one pick. I, well, okay. Because you if paid him and he's coming off a huge injury. Let me tell you something. Well, if he's that good, they're not going to have the number one pick. Not unless you wait until you've got one win and everybody else has three or four. Yeah, when has that happened? <laughs> Just, I think you're painting a scenario that is that is highly unlikely. I mean, okay. Right now, there is one two-win team in the AFC, and it's New England. And then you've got the Giants and the Bears, and the Bears have the Panthers pick. So... You've got three teams in the NFC and one team in the AFC that you're in contention with. And Chicago plays Carolina in on one week from today. So one of those teams is going to get an extra win. Like I just, you wait four weeks and you keep losing, you lose four more games and then you see where you are. Like there's still half a season left. I think the contract is so prohibitive. He'd have to be really good for his trade value to be, become anything I think the Kyler Murray is going to be pretty much a straight salary dump just take the contract and we don't expect to get much back we just want the cap space so all right last one is Colts and Panthers go ahead and ask the question why did we bet the Colts to win the AFC South right (laughs) in fairness we did it before Anthony Richardson got hurt and you've already paid it off you've already accepted it as a loss shame I took a buyout of eight dollars. That's a buyout, dude. There, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I pay, I paid ninety two dollars. I pay eight bucks. That almost gets you a trip to Chipotle. Uh, if if Trevor Lawrence tore his ACL two weeks from now, would you feel like we had a chance? No, still wouldn't. Who'd win the division? Will Levis and the Titans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. Probably. What did you do? What did you roll your bet over with? So I made a double or nothing bet Kansas City to win the AFC. And I gave this person better odds. I I bumped it up a little bit for him to make it more enticing. This person. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want everyone who's only listening to this as a podcast to know that Andrew Filipponi, the incredibly successful mildly famous afternoon host in Pittsburgh watched the Steelers Titans game from his house in a Kenny Pickett Jersey and hat. Yeah. Well, I wore this to around all day. I mean, this was not just a come home and change into a costume situation. <laughs> okay. You wore it. You wore it out today. Yeah. You're real. Yeah, I, lo- I, I allow people to see me like this. All right, brother. Good stuff. Good Let's talk after all of these uh, tremendous games Sunday night. Yep, we'll talk after Bengals and Bills. Thank you to Spencer Ray, first in pod. Peace.